Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is getting closer to that time of year. That's right. Former Ole Miss recruiting specialist Weldon Rodenberg joins the show today to discuss some SEC Media Days reactions, just storylines in college football, in general realignment, um, NIL, the typical stuff, kind of based off what we heard at SEC Media Days, some Kiffin comments, some bad questions as we get every year, and of course the fastest growing segment on American soil, a great soccer corner that focused on the, is it called the transfer market? I don't know what it's called, um, but I know the EPL season is starting soon, so we got into uh, Man City, why Man U is such a mess. Uh, I watched an MLS game, so that was a nice story. But um, all kinds of soccer stuff. As you're listening to this, or if you're listening to this on a Thursday, Weldon Rodenberg went to watch Man City play in Houston. Uh, we don't really know why Man City did not contact him about free tickets and sideline passes, considering all we've done for the beautiful game. But that's either here or there. Anyway, pack show, you're going to love it. Before we get to that, though, wanted to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Glad to have my friend Matt Mims on board. He's Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. Everything's expensive right now. Gas is expensive. Groceries are expensive. If you've got something you need to get insured, you want to make sure you get the best rate. Mims is an independent insurance agent whose sole job is to find you the best possible insurance rate. Whatever you need insured, whether it's a boat, car, house, uh, congrats on your boat if that's the case. Whatever you need insured, he can help you get the best rate. It can be overwhelming trying to find out what's the best way to go insurance-wise, whether it be provider, best rate. Just call Matt Mims, and he'll handle all of that for you. That's overwhelming. You got enough going on as is. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854, and he's going to get you taken care of. Tell him I sent you, and he will get you the best rate possible. All you have to do is sit by the phone and wait for him to get back to you. He is the uh, best in the business, absolutely. He shops it through 10 different insurance agencies and comes back with the best possible deal for you. So let him take the hassle out of the uh, shopping for insurance quotes and just let him handle the process for you. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, He's definitely going to get you taken care of. Check him out there, MIMS Insurance. That is 601-218-7854. The podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. We've got football just around the corner. You're going to want to take advantage of this deal. So right now, they're running an Ole Miss national title special. The Skybox guys are Ole Miss fans. How about that? Right now, if you use the promo code NATTY, that's N-A-T-T-Y, I hope I didn't have to spell that for you, but just in case, you're going to get 50% off any picks package between now and August 17th. You're going to want to take advantage of this. Think about this. You can buy their NCAA and NFL picks package for the year at half price right now if you go in and buy it right now. Use the promo code NATTY. The promo code RIPPY for an extra 20% off still works. I don't know if you can double dip. We'll check with the Skybox guys on that one. But be sure to try both. Why not? You need to check these guys out. If you're into sports betting, they're absolutely the best in the business. They're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain. You don't want the bookie texting you every Sunday night, Monday morning, this football season, asking you to square up as he just robs you blind. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that. They're the professionals. They hit it 60% last year. 
in NFL. They absolutely crush college basketball. You need to check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. So glad to have those guys on board. All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg. Buckle up. All right, it is that time of year again. Weldon Rodenberg is back in the fold. It is hard to uh, hard to believe it's been a year. Uh, SEC Media Days will recap that. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, changes between the two of us, I guess, since uh, the last time we did a pod. Former recruiting guy, you landed a nice uh, a nice land. So congrats to you. You are no longer a uh, single bachelor, whatever they call it these days. You got engaged. I, I don't need to beat around the bush. Yet. <laughs> yeah, not much more than that. Yes, you are moving. I have moved and am now engaged. So a lot of, lots happened on this podcast. I don't know what's going what's going on with the other ones on this site, but things are moving and shaking over here. So full disclosure, I got back um, about – we're recording this uh, a little late on a Wednesday night – or Tuesday night, excuse me. I was driving back from a uh, work conference that I, I had in Atlanta. Um, and I was sitting there thinking – I knew we were doing this pod, and this was like right around a year ago where I was literally sitting at my old job. And I was like, I've got to figure something out for football season. Like I've got a hoops guy. I've got a baseball guy. Like what the hell am I going to do? And I think like literally within five minutes you messaged me something about like wanting to get into podcasting or something about media and I was like oh buddy I got a light bulb moment I was like do I have something for you and then we started the second biggest uh, or the biggest soccer uh, podcast in the country so it's amazing what happens within a year um, but we are back so this is like spring training for you we'll ease you into it get the old arm loose and then we'll start doing the regular Sunday shows as we kind of get closer to the season but I guess you could say football's back in a way. We do have SEC Media Days. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin went day one on Monday. Um, I guess we'll just start there. I was trying to catch up SEC-wide as best I could. It didn't seem like there's too much earth-shattering news beyond uh, kind of your usual jabs about NIL. Um, Saban got asked a couple of Jimbo Fisher questions, but nothing too earth-shattering. No. Or, I always like to throw it your way from when you worked in recruiting – this time of year, what are you guys doing? Are you working on the next class? Are you excited for the season? What is the mindset of someone in the building in general kind of three weeks out of camp? Well, for lack of a better answer, everyone's on vacation. Okay. This, is, this, is, this is vacation time, the very few that you get. Because, I mean, I don't think they start practice for like two and a half weeks. I talked to Broker for an NIL deal, and I think they, like, report the second. So, yeah, right at two weeks or so. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that really, like, I, that you may – I wish I could give a better answer. It really is vacation time. But then I think most of the staff come back, like, a week or so before camp starts and starts kind of putting together practice plans, putting together camp plans kind of, you know, getting scheduling together. And then really that for recruiting, that's putting together when you're going to go see your hot list. Right. Because once camp starts, you know, different states start their high school seasons at different times. I always – Alabama was always like a week or two early. Uh, some of the West Coast are like really, really early. And then finally you get into your Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee. They, they usually start at the end of August. So you're kind of planning out – who do you want to come see, watch practice, and then who do you want to go see uh, coming up? Because that sounds like an easy task, but it absolutely is not. You only get the chance to go see the kid play once live. So you got to figure out how to schedule that according to with the home and away games. You know, not 
not to mention that they're home and away games. Got to figure out where they're playing. It takes. I mean, I remember doing it uh, in 2020 when I was kind of heading up, figuring out that schedule. I mean, it takes two or three weeks just to get that all figured out, which sounds crazy, but it really is true. Just figure out where the coaches are going to be and where they're going. So that would be the main first focus from like a recruiting office standpoint from now. You mentioned only getting to go see the kid play once. Is that a rule or are you just talking about kids that are far off and obviously not spending the time and capital to go see him again? Like if you had an Oxford High kid, obviously you probably know more about him anyway, but could you go see him more than once? I got to think about what the rule was. My my understanding was the head coach can go once. So there is a rule in place. There is a rule behind it. What the exact rule is, I don't totally remember. I believe it's like you can go see like that on-campus visit like once from the head coach and then maybe an assistant coach can go as well. But like you can't uh, do more than one either way. I believe – because I remember we used to have, like, real issues with trying to go see some kids and you'd have to, like, risk possibly going to, like, a playoff game because the schedule wouldn't work out. And then it's like you're really, you know, playing with fire, trying to figure out how to get the coaches there depending on your schedule and theirs. Uh, there's some rules in there. I, it's Obviously, it's been a, a minute, so I can't remember exactly what they were. Yeah, I was mostly just curious if there was a rule period you were just talking about, like, logistically getting dudes in and out of state. If there is. It's like a puzzle piece trying to figure it all out, depending on what your hot list is. And kind of knowing how Kiffin recruits, I'm sure that's even a little bit more difficult, knowing which guys he likes and doesn't like. So that scheduling, I'm sure, is a lot of fun for whoever has to do it right now. So somewhat on that subject, just one of the notes I had from Kiffin's press conference in one of the three rooms they took him in to be asked the same questions at SEC Media Days was uh, about strength and conditioning. I actually thought it was a decent question. I'll have a rant about the shitty questions later. But he, the guy asked him about strength and conditioning, replacing a strength and conditioning coach and what that's like entering the first day of camp. One of the things you mentioned to me, one of the first podcasts we did, um, when you were talking about like the first day of spring being a huge thing for a recruiting guy, that's when your kid's on campus if he's an early enrollee. That's when you kind of know, like, oh, God, can this play or not? And you can tell pretty quickly. I guess this is a two-parter now that I think about that. I imagine for some of the ones that aren't early enrollees, this is kind of that for guys that didn't come in the spring. Is that kind of true, too? Like your first day of camp, right, can this kid actually get out on the field and play? Or do you kind of know by that point? Um, I would always say that spring is kind of like, to use a racing analogy, it's kind of like your pole position. Okay. You know, you got the guys in there, especially some of the guys that come in early they're kind of staking their claim to their position and like putting themselves in position to either grab a starting spot in the fall or a backup spot or playing time or consideration. Fall camp is like where you really kind of break away from, you know, certain categories. And that's when you figure out who's really playing for you and who's like going to be on that depth chart. And that's when that stuff actually starts to matter. Spring is, a lot more about figuring out who you've got on your team. And with the portal, obviously, they have to do even more of that than usual. Uh, fall camp is more like nailing down, like, all right, who are our dudes? And, like, who is actually playing for this football team this year? And I know that sounds silly, kind of like you're in high school. You know, like, who's going to play for us? But, like, in reality, that kind of is what they're doing in fall and spring for a lot of these young guys, these portal guys, and even some of these older veteran guys. That's just kind of like your best – you know, putting your best foot forward. So in fall, you can kind of like solidify where you're at. 
and to continue with like a racing analogy, it's sort of like the home stretch or a sprint or whatever you want to call it because it's it's way more truncated. Spring's a little more spread out, right? You have off days. You don't practice every day. Kind of for fall camp, I mean, you do have some off time, but it's practice after practice after practice. They don't do the two-a-days anymore, but like you're doing it every day more so than spring in terms of like when you're kind of getting in the mix and mixing it up with pads and different stuff on the field. It seems a little more spread out. Yeah, I would say fall feels long. I mean, once you start practice, it feels like an eternity until the season starts, especially for someone in the office who's obviously not coaching. So there's not as many duties from that standpoint. Um, but there, it's a lot of practice, and you're getting a lot of time with these guys, whether that's in film study or just on the practice field or in strength and conditioning. So it's a really good barometer for where you're at and where your players are at. The last thing I have on this is what I – actually, my main point, what I meant to ask you was Kiffin mentioned something to the effect when talking about strength and conditioning and, you know, replacing coaches or whatever. He wasn't even talking about it from the sense of the strength and conditioning coach, but just guys being in shape. You never know until you get them out there the first day of camp. Do you as a recruiting guy have any similar – like, is there a similar feeling there? Because even if you've had a guy for spring, like, do you worry about, like, did he go home and get fat over summer? I know they're here for most of the summer, so it's a little different. Do you worry about what shape they're in at all when they show back up? Oh, hell yes. Okay. These are not professional athletes. Yeah. Absolutely you're concerned about that. I mean, when these guys go home, I mean, yeah, like, you, you still – I don't know Kiffin loves to call it professional sports. It's but it's not. Like right. these guys are not, you know, wired that way immediately. Some are, and those are the elite guys, but in, in all reality is these guys go home and they don't have necessarily the most stable workout environments or just stable environments in general. You really don't have a great sense of what they're gonna look like and what shape they're gonna be in coming back into fall. But you are correct, a lot of these guys stay there are in summer school. So they're, they're around and they're working out and doing their best to get in shape or fall. But that's not everybody. I mean, I can, you know, I can count, uh, you know, on both my hands, you know, quite a few guys who you're like, shit, like that's not what we were expecting going back into fall. Um, now, fall's a lot. So, you know, you can get into shape quickly. And these kids are young. It's not like they're, you know, I saw that Leonard Fournette story where they, he, he's like a donut away from 260 after signing a three-year contract. Not exactly the same situation, but, uh, yeah, there's definitely some issues there. Do I think that's like an Ole Miss-centric issue? No. That's, that's, that's everybody. That's just that's life when you're dealing with 18- and 19-year-olds. But it's, it's definitely something to consider. And that's the crux of it. When Kiffin loves to talk about it being professional sports, the main thing is that they're 18-, 19-year-old kids. I remember I was talking to Rawlings, and I've used this example a couple of times. Like, when Rawlings was trying to beef up to get ready to play his redshirt freshman year, and particularly his freshman year when he was redshirting, he's like, I didn't know how, like, what adding weight meant. I just thought it meant ordering 40 bucks worth of food at Secret Wendy's and taking it back to my house and trying to yam it on down. <laughs> like, I didn't understand, like, what, you know, being nutritious and staying in that kind of shape meant. And so that's kind of what you're dealing with, you know, st stability in the home environment aside, too. I mean, that only adds to it. But, like, the non-professional aspect of it is, is their kids in that sense, they don't understand like what it takes yet to stay. In yeah. And it's not, it's not their fault either. Cause you right. don't know how their bodies are going to react to how they're working out or anything. I mean, you, as a recruiter and when you're evaluating players coming into your program, you're trying to project, you know, can they add weight? Can they lose weight? You never ever know how that's going to work out. I mean, there's a guy like Demarcus Thomas, who's not with the program anymore. 
he was a little undersized to tie it in. So we're like, okay, well, he needs to add weight. Well, it turns out that he added weight too. He had weight too quickly. And right. it was like, okay, is he almost going to be a defensive lineman? And there's some guys in the offensive line, you're like, okay, got a great frame. Like, can he add weight? And then turns out he just straight up can't do it. So you, those are those aspects that, you know, you don't always think about when it comes to these kids, but their bodies react so differently because they still, you know, some kids are growing. Some kids need to stop growing. You never know what's going into it. Whether you're a former guy inside the building or just a football fan in general, dude, did you guys make fun of SEC media days? Because, like, I'm almost, I'm, I was thinking about zagging on this. I have one something to throw at you in a minute. But, like, what is, like, the general, like, inside the building thought about media days? I kind of find the entire thing hilarious. It's like a circus that's, like, somewhat necessary but so just cringe at the same time. What is, like, your opinion both in and out of it about this whole event? I mean, I didn't even know they had them until I started working for the team. I had never like set my eyes on SEC Network to watch media days until I worked for the team. So I remember we were like kind of gathering around to watch like Coach, Coach Luke's first one. And I mean, he did fine, but that was still kind of during the, the allegations period. So the, all the Ole Miss questions, like no one gave a shit about Ole Miss and media days then. It was like, okay, like, are y'all still under sanctions? Like what's really going on here? And so – from then I was always like, this is really stupid. And I thought that from kind of a standpoint of they were being mean to us. <laughs> and then now I watch it and I realize, Oh, these are actually still really stupid. And there's almost no point to it, especially because the season doesn't start for a month. So no one asks like any interesting questions, which I'm sure you're going to bring up. It just doesn't make any sense to me why it's such a big shebang for all these coaches who all look so miserable there. I don't totally understand it. Uh, Mike Leach had a really great rant about the pointlessness of a necktie today. So that is the type of content you get out of that. Right. It's, it's a made-for-TV event. It's, it's, it's your showcase to allow three of the guys you want to market plus your coach to go. All the print stuff really is pointless. And, like, the lo I mean, I'll put local TV in that category as well. And I don't mean – I dump on local TV a lot. And I don't mean to in, like, a malicious sense. But, like, the big room where they ask the ridiculous questions and then you go to, like, a side room, which I've never figured out the difference. I think there's some radio dudes in there. You I, didn't even I didn't even realize there was more than one room. Yeah, so there's two rooms that I've never figured out really the difference. There's a gigantic one and then kind of a big one that I don't really know the difference. They claim it's print only. That is absolutely not the case. And then they, act, they actually let the local guys meet <laughs> with them before. So by the time that, like, say Matt Luke was the last one I went to, by the time he's in the big room, he's done two interviews, both of which I've been into. So I'm not fighting some guy who – you know, showed up in a suit and tie for no reason for the microphone. I'm just going to sit back and start writing. Like, this is it, – it, it's, it's completely ridiculous. But, like, the TV part, like going on set with Dari Noka or whoever for SEC Network and the one-on-one -on -one interviews with Marty Smith as he puts on the fake Southern accent and Ryan McGee as he pulls out of there when his Prius, despite, you know, being the Southern guy. Uh, that type of deal. That's kind of what that's made for. Hell, I remember uh, in 19, it was a big deal that they brought Matt Corral – as a freshman, like that was a big thing. And now like, and maybe it's just cause I'm out of it. I, I honest to God, I was trying to catch up today after the conference. I, I didn't know who Ole Miss brought. I guess I could have taken a couple guesses. They brought Mingo, Cedric Johnson and, and broker. broker. And I probably could have guessed broker. I guess I could have guessed Mingo older guy, part of the offenseman back there. I don't know if I'd have guessed Cedric Johnson, but like, I didn't see much debate about that. And maybe that's just no. a different time and place that Ole Miss is in. But outside of that, 
it really is kind of pointless. There's a lot of bad questions asked. My zag would be, nowadays, with all this feuding going on between SEC coaches, it at least provides a stage for something to pop off. Like, whereas, like, 2019, when Luke came the first time, it was peak made-for-TV event. There wasn't a whole lot interesting about it now. But now when you have Kiffin and Saban, you know, picking at Jimbo Fisher in the random offseason – well, now you don't get them all there at the same time, but in a four-day stretch, you're going to talk to them on a huge stage. My zag now to give some meaning to SEC media days would actually be, hey, at least there's this gigantic launch pad if someone wants to pop off about you know and the state of stuff. Like, at least it's there now. Yes, but none of these guys – what's the best way to put this? They – they're, they're Twitter warriors, a lot right. of these media guys. And that's not everybody. You know, there's a lot of really good people there that, like, do really good stuff that I follow. But they don't have the balls to ask an actual question. Exactly. I mean, the, the, like, a real one, like, to Nick Saban, that actually makes him contemplate, like, should I even answer this? Or to Jimbo, like, no, I guarantee, I don't know what day Jimbo is. It's either tomorrow or Thursday. Thursday. Nobody is going to ask him a legitimate question. It just won't happen. They don't do it. I mean, they especially don't do it when he was on his rant, like, you know, in College Station. You know, those guys are definitely not asking him a real question. Um, so you don't really get – even though it could be that kind of launching pad for something interesting, it never actually ends up being that. I even remember Ed Ogeron, credit to um, – I cannot remember who asked. It was maybe Thamel or, or, or one of those guys who's pretty good. Asked Ogeron, the only question anybody was interested at that time, which was about the Title IX investigation and some of the sexual assault issues they had. And they got the best answer possible. Ogeron saying, like, something ridiculous about, like, you know, take that up with someone else. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, that's a good answer because now you can just show how dumb he is. Like, wow, you couldn't have just said, like, you know, we're working our best through it. Like, you, they don't even give those jabs very often to even make these coaches uncomfortable. So even though they have that platform to make that possible, they never do it. But which is why I don't really care and why no one really should necessarily. That's a terrific point because you think about how these feuds started in the off season. It was one Kiffin, the first time it happened, Kiffin basically making a pretty unprompted kind of just shit eating grand side comment about, incurring a luxury tax and a salary cap it wasn't prompted credit to I think Neil asked to follow up about it some the first time after that happened I'm bouncing all over the place here <laughs> Kiffin made that comment and then someone asked him about like his running backs or something and I'm just sitting there staring at the screen like what are you doing and then Neil grabs the mic and was like oh back to this by the way yeah, that's but something interesting to your point that and then Fisher calls the press conference after the Saban thing those A&M media contingent didn't want to ask that, but he called the press conference for the entire purpose of that. It's a controlled environment. It's just local media. Like, what else are you going to ask to what you're talking about when you get on that stage with all those reporters and all that in the TV set behind you in the room? None of those guys really have the balls, and it's really kind of indictment on the state of media to actually kind of – I don't want to say, like, clickbaity and stoke the flames, but just ask the question. Just give him a chance to tee off. Like, it, there's, a, there's a long – there's a lot of real estate between that and, and fishing for clicks. Like, at least give him the chance to tee off. And you didn't see a ton of that today. Um, I saw Alabama. It's like Will Anderson, from what I saw, and I didn't watch the entire presser, so hand up there. No, yeah. I'd ask more frequently about the Jimbo Fisher thing than Saban. Saban got one question about it vaguely and shut it down, and no one wanted to challenge him because he didn't want to get yelled at. 
But what they don't realize is I doubt a coach is going to yell at you with 300 people in the room. There's five. There's a 0% chance. Yeah. And so you're right. Like it offers the launching pad, but at the same time, people don't take it. And so diving into the old Miss piece of this, I just had some random notes from the two Kiffin press conferences. One, talk about guys being on vacation. Kiffin had a nice golden brown tan working. Looked like he Good just threw on that suit fresh off of Manhattan Beach or maybe somewhere in Florida where he enjoys fishing. So props to him for that. Um, I'll go, I want to go to NIL in a second, but I, I noticed something amongst national guys or guys that don't cover Ole Miss. They, he got asked a lot of questions about the quarterback. With Matt Corral leaving, it's a natural storyline. But it was all dark. I'm not sure one non-Ole Miss reporter mentioned Luke Altmeyer by name. And as we discussed at the end of spring, this is a real battle. I, I, I still tend to lean at the end. I'm not sure if they brought Jackson Dart over all this way to sit. But at the same time, where else is he going to go at this point now that he's used right. the one freebie? Right. Be that as it may, every question he got was like, do you see similarities between Dart and Corral? Um, like, what is Dart's leadership ability like? And it reminded me a lot of Kiffin in 2020, uh, where all the questions – I remember Barrett Salee went on CBS Sports and was like, this I'm could plumbing. be one of the yeah. most dynamic offenses in the country with John Rice Plumley and everyone locally. And Garrett, this was in the middle of camp, was like, this is, this is, this is just not – I don't understand the disconnect. Matt Corral is going to play quarterback for Ole Miss, barring something crazy. It's not that misguided, but it's kind of on a similar thing. It seems like nationally it's like, okay, Jackson darts their quarterback because he was the splashy hire or excuse me, the splashy addition, but this is a real quarterback battle. I don't know how it ended up shaking out. I kind of have some slight leans, but there seems to be kind of a misguided narrative about that kind of forming early on. I don't know if you noticed that as well. No, yeah, I, I do. You do see it. I think a lot of it is because the portal is such a hot button, you know, big topic. So when they see these guys in the portal going different places, that you just kind of assume they're going there – to play and to right. start because they put all the effort towards getting them because, you know, it's an assumption that they have that need and they filled it there. Um, I mean, I don't know any inside information, but from all accounts, it seems like it's actually, it's a real battle between Altmaier and Dart. Um, I do still. Good in spring, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. I do still lean to the fact that you don't go all that way to bring the kid in because I do believe he is the more talented player to not start him. But uh, I say this so many times, like these coaches, there is no favorites. There is no hometown. There is no nothing. There is no, we paid this kid NIL. Like they're going to play the, the player, the quarterback, the running back, the offensive lineman that they believe is going to give them the best chance to win football games. And that's, that is it. So I don't know where it's leaning. I have you, it's definitely out there that it feels like the media is just assuming Dart. I wouldn't do that at this point. Um, so I, I don't know where it's at, but I, I do know what you're saying, and I've been feeling the same way. Where I don't think it's totally comparable to Plumley because that was just such a unique, weird dynamic between not. those two players and those two coaching staffs. It's just it's hard to even explain how all of that went down for people to understand. Um, but, yeah, this battle is definitely on, and someone is going to have to win it. I remember in 2015, our guy, uh, Frat Cannon, was in a quarterback battle with Chad. Oh, yeah. And, I'm like, sure that was are. actually more toward what kind of the media is treating this Dart uh, Altmaier thing like, where it was like, okay, yes, it's a battle, but, like, you know, Chad Kelly's really going to have to screw this up. And then I remember – 
my old boss, Hugh Kellenberger, had the infamous column of, like, Chad Kelly will wreck the Ferrari, just give Buchanan the keys because he'll keep it in between the lines. But to, to – I bring that up for a reason. There is something to that, right? Dart turned the ball over a lot by all accounts during spring and took a lot of chances and was a lot more wild. And to your point about not playing favorites, look, if it gets down to it, like, Ole Miss is going to have a pretty good defense. You'll think they'll have a pretty decent running game. They've made some additions at receiver. If – this may be a little bit of a reach, but I don't think they'll need the quarterback to be as like ridiculously kind of special in terms of putting the team on the its back like Corral had to do at times last year. So if it comes down to it and that doesn't improve, like I think there's probably a good chance they'd go with the safer bet and the guy that's more experienced in the system. And I there's no real point to that. I'm just pointing out that like it is a more real quarterback battle than people seem. And Again, before I get to the bad questions rant, there was an older gentleman who grabbed the mic um, and, like, started off real slow. It was like so-and-so from so-and-so TV, and I was like, oh, this ought to be a doozy. And then he just goes, what are the three top attributes you look when making a decision on a quarterback? And I was like, wow, that's actually not a bad question. And Kiffin goes, accuracy, timing, decision-making, and then went through all three, bam, 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 why it's important. I was like, ah, that was a good question, good answer. Congrats, guy. Journalism's not dead. But that kind of speaks to that point as well, like decision-making, timing, and accuracy. You can't afford you – know, you can't afford the Matt Corral six-pick game to happen twice next no. year. You know what I mean? And particularly when you have, like, the Luke Altmaier talent waiting in the wings if Dart does win the job. So, it's more legitimate than it seems – or than it's being led on to be by national guys. And that's probably just the fact that they don't cover Ole Miss every day. And, you Not know, there. the Plumlee Corral thing, they weren't a nationally relevant program at that <laughs> point, aside from Kiffin being the head coach. There just wasn't a whole lot of juice there. Um, which is crazy to think about just two years later. We'll get back to Weldon Rodenberg in just a second, but want to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywright.substack.com. Just type in your email and you get a 16-ounce prime strip and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. As we hit in the dog days of summer, prime grilling season, you're going to want to go into LB's and find your own favorites. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is absolutely the best place in the world to get meat. I love the uh, tri-tips. You got the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausage, fresh seafood. Greg's got it all. And if he doesn't have it, he will get it for you because he wants to make your grilling experience great. Absolutely a staple of the Oxford community. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. As I go down the list here, there's a lot of NIL stuff. Uh, we talked about this before. I think I had you on after one of the Kiffin blowups, but – Kiffin is not backing down on his aggressiveness in how he talks about the inequities that come with NIL. Um, and I think it's very evident in his language. He says salary cap. He says payroll. I don't think that's on accident. I don't think he's just saying that because that's how he thinks about it. I think he's saying that for a reason. I think he chooses his words carefully there. But it is fascinating to hear him talk about. He uses the Major League Baseball example a lot. And uh, I guess he's a noted Tampa Bay Rays hater because he says the larger payroll always wins out. I don't know if that's totally the case. No, I don't think he's paying attention to the league most. <laughs> it's fascinating to, he keep, to hear him keep beating that drum. Um, one of the things he said was he was like, this wasn't well thought out. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, no shit. Like, they just legalized it. And then at midnight, Bo Nix is talking about how Milo's Sweet Tea is signed him for <laughs> X amount of money. Like, no kidding, wow. it wasn't well thought out. But as we enter this day and age of NIL, it's not – I don't know how to – I don't know if this is the right way to put it. It's not getting better. It's getting more chaotic. And I'm just curious as now as we sit here a year 
are we a year or two years into this? I can't remember. Are we just a year into this? That's nuts. A year into like the real, the real NIL. Yeah. What do you, do you have any lean on what this is going to do and how it's going to affect college football? I still really don't. I just know the market correction, it playing itself out. That has not happened yet. I'm just as confused as uh, anyone else a year later. I, I, I think I, I don't know where this thing is going. Um, I've, I've always – I think it's going to be real fascinating to see what happens this year on the field, maybe even next year on the field, because I yeah. feel like those kids are going to be the ones who've got some of the big quote-unquote contracts. Because um, I want to see what happens at, like, Miami and Tennessee if Rashada and Nico get there and they don't play. Because I think that's, that's, like, your biggest – if you're a person that hates NIL – and I don't understand why you would hate it. I get because it's annoying and it's changing the game and it's giving programs that have a lot of money more advantages than those that don't, which is already, you know, escalates the non-parity that we already have in the sport. But it's hating the unregulated nature of it is the rational way to look at it if you don't like it. Sure. But, like, kids getting paid is great. Sure. Um the way it's happening and how it's affecting the sport and the way that we, you know, kind of always thought it would be is a little off. Um, even if that's a little misconstrued from a, just a total mindset sport and how you treat labor of, you know, young men who are making billions of dollars for these businesses. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to just be, one or the other you always have to kind of consider the angles of how all this is working with these kids with these money with all this money um but all that being said this market correct is is going to come it 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 has to right it is it has to because they're i don't care how much money you have you can have all the money in the world these guys don't get money from being stupid. And eventually the ROI, which as of now is zero, there is no return on investment except for winning. And if that's what you want and that's like the goal, that's fine. If you're a, you know, a bad actor, live Saudi tour where you don't care how much money you make, you just want to you know, own it, that's fine. You know, and, and then you'll have those programs that deal with that. But I can tell you for a fact at LSU, Ole Miss, you know, Auburn, you know, even Alabama to an extent, you don't have guys like that. And they will not be able to do this year over year over year and just shell out an extra five, ten million dollars per signing class if it doesn't bring some sort of return on investment. Now, Miami and Texas, Texas AM, USC, maybe they're different. Maybe they can just continue this and continue it and continue it. I I call bullshit. Um, I don't think there should be a cap because this is not a professional football league as much as we want it to be. You should not be able to cap the, the earning potential of, of a, a kid if you're going to really do it based on NIL the, in the spirit of the law. You shouldn't cap it. Um, so where do you go from there? I mean, I, there was a question for Sankey, like what sort of Congress involvement is there going to be? And Sankey, to – his credit, though I think he gets a little bit more than he should, was like, well, we've had those conversations, but as you're aware, you know, this is a midterm election year, so we're going to be dealing with a different Congress in, in, you know, six to eight months from now, 
who might have different differing opinions on how this whole thing is going to work out also might have a differing priorities, understandably, by the way, that this might not be on the top of the docket, depending on, you know, what else is going on in the world. So there's so many different issues and dynamics. And if they had just kind of thought at least a little bit about it, maybe it wouldn't be as bad, but at, at where we're standing now, it, it's just completely out of control. Well, from reading about it, even just over the last year, it seems like there's zero thought. They're just like, yes, we got to. They, they're not taking any of our money, so let's just let them make their own. And then they just basically, I mean, I hate to use like the cliched example of the floodgates, but it really does feel like they opened up a flood wall and were like, oh, why is everything underwater now? Like it's, it's right. kind of insane in that sense. I saw that Sankey answer, and I thought it was a good answer. I just – I would have respected him more – if he just said, one, it's a midterm election year. Two, have you seen the people that sit on seats in our, our federal government? They're dumbass. Uh, yeah. They're, exactly. they're, <laughs> they're not special. The older you get, the more you realize that. Yeah. You like know, the, These guys aren't special people. You know, they are. They're so – I was listening to Rusilla podcast a while back where, like, he had Michael Lewis, the famous author, on. And I think Lewis has a book coming out about, like, the treasury or something, but he's basically was like, my total conclusion was just, I was so unimpressed by everyone in government. Well, that's, that's a company. <laughs> feeling, so. That's pretty good. That's pretty, I listen to a lot of ringer stuff. I had to go listen to that one. It's not, a good one. Not to give them free marketing on, on our Oxford, whatever we're on. Sorry. I give Rousseau enough marketing. I listened to a lot of his pods. It was a fascinating interview, but like bringing it back to the NIL part and you talk about the market correction, you know, Andy Staples has coined this term, 18 year olds are bad investments. And Saban, to his credit, whatever you want to fault Saban for, he put it out there today at Media Day or yesterday or whenever it was that Saban went, that his guys made $3 million in NIL last year by his estimation. And that's a lot more transparent than most of these guys have been. Hell, the guy he prodded throughout the offseason was like, what the hell is this NIL stuff? Why is everybody looking at me? Like, at least Saban kind of somewhat put it out there. But to your point about this, and – They're different. About, yeah, you talk about the regulation. What do you mean? Uh, like they, they deal on a different platform than others. They, I know Alabama, people, Alabama does. They're, they're just, they don't have, in most circumstances, yes, all these players are getting paid some way or the other. They don't have to do it like others though, because they have such a ridiculous proof of you come to Alabama, you play, you start, you go to the NFL, you make so much money that it's just not the same. You don't have to do it like Texas does or A&M does. We have to build from the ground up, you know, lay that first layer of investment just to get guys in to rebuild the program. Bama is such a machine that, yeah, of course they're paying players. Everyone is. But they don't have to do it like other people do it. They don't have to recruit and use NIL in a way that other people do it because you're still Alabama. There's still enough kids, one, in-state, and two out of state that are like, I want to go there because I want to go to the NFL. There's only so many programs like Ohio State similar. You don't really hear them in NIL all that much because it's not the same kind of deal with them because they have such a proven track record of come here, look at all these receivers and defensive linemen and quarterbacks who succeed. Yeah, we're going to pay you to get on here, but it's not going to be $9 because we don't have to convince you with $9 million to come. Right. And if you're one of those guys like Rashada or Nico and you just have to have, you know, millions of dollars to go to school, fine. We're going to go find a guy that's just as good and he's not going to have to demand that money. He just wants to come to Ohio State. 
So it's a little, those two programs in particular are just kind of on a different level with all this kind of stuff. You're right. And the other piece of that is having a pretty strong and sturdy booster network, if you want to call it an army, that's all in lockstep together. That's, I mean, if you talk to anyone that covered Alabama when Saban was hired and was around that hiring, the Alabama booster network had kind of become very Texas-y in a lot of ways. There were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of guys grabbing at power or whatever the case may be. I don't pretend to know the internal dynamics of it, but Saban, it's very clear, like, you know, 12 years later or 14 years later, he was like, hey, we're going to do this my way. I'm going to be in charge. If y'all want to kind of follow suit and do this in unison, that's the way we're going to get good. And look what happened. They created the greatest dynasty ever. Whereas Texas and Texas A&M, and maybe not A&M to a certain degree, they just seem a little more clueless than they are dysfunctional. Um, they have deeper pockets, like you mentioned, but they don't have like the uniform, uh, if you want to call it booster culture, whatever the case may, like whatever you want to term it, they don't have that. It's a bunch of rich dudes. It's almost – I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine in some ways it's kind of a dick measuring contest. So like, look, I'll throw out this money out there, but it's not as organized. And that was kind of what I was getting at. So like, yeah, say yeah, because yeah. they had guys make $3 million last year. Well, you just mentioned it. Rashada and the kid that went to Tennessee, there's rumors of them, what, making seven, eight, nine million million on one kid. And you talk about the market correction coming. I just can't imagine – and maybe it's the maybe they, it just keeps coming because guys like to spend their money and rich dudes will just keep doing it. Which but is very possible. Miami it doesn't fill up their stadium. So the dudes, Nevin Shapiro went to prison for a while, their most famous booster. I just can't imagine a, a, a if Miami sucks and they go seven and five for three straight years, the guy, whoever it is, the guy, guys, people that's giving Rashada that money. Do you think they're going to continue to do that? Because they don't seem to have that fiercely loyal fan base in Alabama or even in A&M in Texas to their credit does. I just don't see that. So I think that's where the market correction in some senses is going to come. Um, and also there's just, I don't know if you'll ever be able to convince me barring maybe two quarterbacks a year that any sort of college quarterback is worth 9 million bucks. Like that's giving him money counting on him being special. And it just doesn't happen a lot. There's a ton of really talented recruits that don't become special college quarterbacks. Absolutely. Like, what is the next class thing? Like, you know, right. if you're going to Tennessee and you're, like, thinking about going there and you're like, well, I saw that the guy before me got $9 million. Like, How about 11? You know, I'm five-star, you know, from Ravenwood in Nashville. Why don't I get – yeah, $11 million. And they're going to be like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. How about that? So then you're not going to get them. It's just – I get it, and I'm not going to bet against all a lot of rich, you know, crazy college football fan donors just throwing away tens of millions of dollars on these players, you know, out of sheer pride. I will never bet against it. But at some point, like – somebody, some accountant somewhere is going to be like, this just does not make any sense anymore for your profitability in life. <laughs> it's just out of control for, but it's only so many programs. So in that sense, it's like, yeah, I can, I can see it still happening. It's only six, seven that are actually doing it like this. Uh, but I have to, I mean, if one of these guys is a bust, you've got to feel like that's going to burn that guy that put up 2 million of that pile He's going to be like, well, that was a shitty idea, like never doing that again. So that's where I would think the correction comes from. And it'll regulate itself in some senses like that. I just don't know if in five years you're going to see here more of like seven and eight million dollar offers. I think it'll be more of just like, oh, Alabama's paying this kid a ton 
And, you know, it kind of stays maybe in that, not to put a dollar figure on it, but in that like three-ish million dollar range across the board. And kids are getting paid handsomely, but just not the flashy stuff. you're. Maybe, maybe just more once they get to school. Yes. And you talk about the regulation of it. I don't, I'm agreeing. I'm a, as, as unfair as it seems, I don't think you should cap it either. I think guys should be able to pay whatever the market wants to pay them. How oh, about yeah. a ledger? Can we get work on this? Because I, I have no reason to doubt the reporting or the rumor mill or whatever but we don't actually have any physical, tangible evidence that Jalen Rashada made nine million bucks, right? Like, what happened to that money that Quinn Ewers got? Like, if, if you want to talk about regulating this, can we get this on a book somewhere? Like, can this be some yeah. public information that someone way smarter than me that knows way more about laws and finance and all that stuff could answer that? I don't know if that's feasible, but if you talk about the regulation of it, it's like above board, but not really yet. Like, can we at least get some sort of like ledger of what these guys are making? That's to me the next step just to. How much of this is true? Did Quinn Ewers actually make the amount we think? Because now he's in Texas. Two, mil- two million or whatever. Yeah. yeah, what is that guy that gave him that money? What is he – like? does he sue an 18-year-old kid? What, like, what is – that's the part of the regulation. It's not capping it. Just some sort of contract or something in place to help us understand what the money actually is. And on the, on the lasting power part of it, we're talking about Miami being a fickle fan base. I think USC falls in that same category. I think to some degree Tennessee does. The one that it could benefit is A&M. I think those guys will continue to have a bigger band. And Texas. And Texas. And Texas. Texas is another one, too, now as they join the SEC. This, in the long run, probably plays to their biggest advantage. Now, Texas has had plenty of advantages for years, so has A&M, and it hasn't really amounted to a lot. And you were quick to point out throughout the last recruiting cycle, hey, no, this A&M, the eight and four jokes are funny, but, like, look at the last two classes they've compiled. Yeah. Like, this will probably in all likelihood be different. Will that be a year-in, year-out Nashville title contender? Who knows? But, like, the seven and five, eight and four jokes, that's probably not going to happen just off sheer talent alone. And so I'm curious where the staying power part of that is. To bring it back to the old Miss piece of it, Kiffin keeps banging this drum to where, hey, it's not an even playing field. He doesn't necessarily like put fault at anybody. He just continues, I think, to throw it out there and point that out. Do you think he's beating that drum? Let's just say, had he taken the Miami gig and he just had a nine million dollar quarterback come, do you think he's beating? Uh, I think the answer is no. No. <laughs> I uh, I was listening to to Neil and Chase earlier um, as I was driving to work or driving home from work. And they said the exact word that was like flowing through my head when I was watching his press conference, which was whiny. <laughs> it's yeah. getting really, really whiny. Um, but it's like a calculated whiny, right? And the way that he delivers it, he's not just up there completely bitching, in my opinion. Yes. The problem is it's the same answers to the same questions, like what's felt like the past six times we've seen him in media or anything like that. Um, and then what always frustrates me, and he didn't even get the opportunity to yesterday, but it's always like, well, what would you do, Lane? And he's like, well, that's really not up to me. You know, that's, that's out of my price range, or that's, let's talk to Greg about it. So it's like he complains about how it's all going and, you know, then gives like absolutely zero, you know, sort of solution as what he would do. Now, he did talk about like, he would like the head coach to have a little more say and power, which, which was, oh, that was honestly the most, you know, forward thinking and kind of solution based answer he's given the entire time he's ever talked about NIL. Usually it's a little complainy. Um, and 
you know, can we just give him the benefit of the doubt and say it's a message to the boosters? Uh, no, because he's obviously been talking to them for the entire process, and, like, this is nothing new. I'm not going to give him that, you know, out there necessarily. And I don't think it is. Um, I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to throw this question at you. So, to Ole Miss's credit, for what they are, they've been on top of the ball with NIL. Um, I've talked about this for the last month or so, the, the listing and those guys at the Grove Collective, just in terms of being organized and getting that together and having the system they have in place. I think Ole Miss has been – I don't know if you would say ahead of the curve. They're certainly ahead of their in-state counterparts by a long, long shot. Um, I've, heard, I've heard that, yes. Oh, oh, big time. I mean, have you heard of a state collective? Do you know who, exactly? Like, at Ole Miss, at least you know, like, okay, this guy signed with this thing. They have a main collective, and they're at least trying. And they started early. This was in the works as early as last – and it was probably before this, but I kind of started Pete catching – Carter was talking about this in meetings when I was still there, before NIL started. He was like, hey, we've got kind of some groups coming together, not collectives. I'm talking like some kind of marketing and like trying to figure out what this is going to be like. I mean, they were on top of it before it happened. And he had that in the back of his mind because the inner workings of this Grove Collective thing was in the works for a while back. And so that's what I'm kind of giving Ole Miss credit for. They were on it. They didn't – a lot of times Ole Miss is late to the game and they're reactive. For what they are and what their booster base is, I don't know how to compare that to the rest of the SEC. I imagine probably on the lower end. But just the strict organization piece of it, they've done a pretty damn good job with that. And so I don't even know if it's necessarily Kiffin complaining at the boosters. And that leads me to my other point, which I kind of I kind of laughed at this. So Blake Toppemeyer, who used to cover Tennessee for like Gannett or something, I think he's now their national columnist. Did you see this? He wrote an article on Kiffin about a I think it was a couple weeks ago. And Kiffin had a quote in there about like Oxford being a long-term destination. Did you see this? <laughs> yes, I did see this. Obviously, I kind of smirked at that given the last coaching offseason and the cycle and how that went. But do you give any credence to the fact, given the part that we just laid out, about like, hey, you know, Ole Miss is what it is from like a sheer pocket standpoint, but at least they're organized and they're on board and they're supporting a winner. I'm not saying Kiffin has had a change. I don't believe it. I, I, I laughed at it. But I don't, I'm not saying Kiffin's had a change of heart and he's like, oh, my God, I love Oxford. The only thing they don't have is deep sea fishing. <laughs> Do you give any credence to him making a public statement like that? Because he would never make a statement like that. I mean, I've heard – I don't want to get into stuff that's like kind of hearsay and off the record, but like community involvement was not always a strong suit. And that's just kind of how he is maybe the case anywhere. But do you give any credence to the fact that maybe after a year of this, he's gone through another year of the portal, some of the NIL deals that they've been in place, like, hey, like at least like it's not completely barren and they're completely unorganized about it do you think there was any sort of that in the way he answered that question in that piece I think if you give it the benefit of the doubt sure okay I, I think you know he doesn't have to say that publicly and he did um I mean there is no I mean if you don't think that he was trying to leave this past offseason to go to whether it was LSU Florida Miami wherever then you just aren't paying attention um, but he did not get those opportunities, and he stayed. And it seems like he has this kind of understanding that he might be here for a while. Um, whether that is something he actually wants or is something – I mean, it, it's also a possibility that he has grown into it. I think, I think his daughter is now at Oxford High School, yeah. so – the family's kind of coming into it. There absolutely is a case to be made that he is 
just kind of getting into the groove and understanding that he's here and he's getting paid a lot of money. He's at a SEC program that can compete and win, you know, a lot of games. Can they win a national championship? That's a different discussion. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there is a, a turning point where he's like, all right, I'm here. Let's do what we can do to be successful. Because I don't know how many other places I'd actually rather be in the next coaching cycle because there's probably not going to be that whole lot available unless it's the NFL. Um, so just the fact that he would say that leads you to believe that he's kind of had a, at least a small – I don't want to call it a change of heart necessarily, but a kind of a change of reality for him. And, you know, that's a good thing if you're an Ole Miss fan. And I don't think – he doesn't – he really doesn't bullshit in the media. Like, he doesn't really yeah. put out bullshit. If he says something, there is at least something to it. Um, and I, I tend to at least give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt that he does believe that he is in a good spot and he is kind of understanding where he is in his career. And, yeah, you're exactly right. Look, I'm not saying he's about to start wearing, you know, Velvet Ditch T-shirts or whatever. But yeah. I just, you know, having the kid there, he talked about the dog, whatever you want to get make of that. But I do think there's probably some aspect of him going 10-2, and two, and this has been a pretty steady, consistent rise to, to like, yeah. years. As a guy, and I'm not saying this is justified, but he's never been in Mississippi, never coached at Ole Miss. I know he was on the other sideline in 2014, but I just wonder if there was some surprise where he was like, man, they actually support a winner a hell of a lot more than I thought. They're not going to have the resources and stuff like that, but, hey, they made me a $6, 7000000 million a year coach. Hey, oh, yeah. we have an organized collective for what it is. Like, they're on board with it you know, cash-strapped as they may be compared to some other schools. I wonder if he's just somewhat surprised like that. One, naturally, living in a place – I'm sure it's not a terrible place. Wet East Coast guy, West Coast guy, whatever. You live there for a year, maybe it's grown on you a little bit. I think it's just a combination sure. of those things, and he's not as – because he had that really telling piece in the quote where he was like – um I think it was something to – I can't find it now. I had it pulled up earlier. Something effective like I could see how people – people could think that based on the way the early part of my career went, I was always thinking about something next. Now he's probably still always thinking about what's next. Absolutely. It just seems like he's kind of like, okay, this is, this is not a bad situation. Like this. No, is no, 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 no. I, I agree. I, I think if you looked at kind of where he's been, I mean, whether it's Knoxville or Los Angeles or Los or actually Oakland or Boca, I mean, those are just, those are cities. He is in a, town <laughs> I mean, he is and none of those ended well by town. the way like he's never had some sort of harmonious like you know there was no love affair with the community and i'm not saying there is here but there was no like harmony settling in at really any of those places absolutely not so it's understandable for him to like take say a little bit of an adjustment period to realize what's going on but at the end of the day he's making seven and a half million dollars at sec program that he has shown at least one year when he's gotten a lead quarterback can win a lot of football games. Yes. Um, so, I mean, that's really all you can ask for. And, you know, you try to maximize it while you're there. And I believe he's at least, you know, from certain aspects, at least trying to do that. Now that we got all the, uh, I think most of the uh, kind of heavy hitting stuff out of the way, I don't think I missed a ton uh, regarding just kind of the serious stuff. I just have some just absolutely incredible, pieces of sec media days to rip through one he got asked a question uh, auburn guy grabbed the mic and goes hey what do you think of the job brian harson's done at auburn 
<laughs> and Kiffin goes, I mean, you'd probably be a better, like, you, you have a better hand on that than oh, I remember I hearing that one during the big room. I just, like, what, what do you want him to say? I think this was the second room, whatever that mysterious side room is that I've never understood. Because I'm pretty, okay. one, I'm pretty yeah. sure. I thought when I, when I was, full disclosure, when I was prepping for this pod, I clicked on, like, the 15-minute interview. I was like, oh, this was a short big room. And then he opens the press conference by saying, well, I mean, I was just in the same setting. I don't know what you want me to say again, but I'm happy to be here again. I was like, ah, this is the side room. But anyway, the, uh, he goes, I don't know. I think you'd be a better gauge. I just, what do you want him to say? Hey, actually, I think he's doing a shitty job. I don't know what they're teaching in Scientology. Did he spend his summer in the Sea Organization? Like, what's, what's up with Harson? Like, what, I, I just, some of the questions just absolutely enthralled me. He got asked a question about, like, he got asked a question about, what do you consider a success this year? Like, what do you want to say? Well, I hope everyone has fun. And we all stay healthy. Yeah, um, there's another one. This was a classic one. Um, you have two big personalities in this state. You and Coach Sanders. That was the funniest. Question. That was amazing. Well, it was the guy who asked. It makes sense coming from the guy who asked. HBCU guy that covers HBCU. I get it. It was just yeah. a hilarious way to answer because Kiffin. It was really guys. funny because Kiffin and like Leach are like legitimately friends. Yeah. So I think even he was like, damn, like that is Yeah, you buried the lead there. Yeah. Um so that yeah, that was funny. And then of course, like there's some mustard bottle questions. Then of course the first guy, like, God, you've got to have some some cojones to just be the first question. Uh, what you learn from saving about trick plays? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, like, <laughs> I just I, I don't I don't get it. I, I I weep for that profession. I'm no longer in it. There's some really good guys at it. And, like, if you'll notice, and it's not – this is not uniform across the board, but the guys that are good on each beat, you don't really hear them asking a lot of questions in there. Like, Neil, who's the first one to point out how pointless a lot of these media ops are, whether it be media days or a lot of one. I think Neil asked good questions. And I'm not just saying that because we work for the same site. But, like, I, I didn't hear Neil grab the mic in there. You're just not going to get a lot of good out of them. There's a couple of diamonds in the buff. But, I mean, it's 30 – it's 25 minutes – of just absolutely terrible questions. I'm trying, I'm trying to see if I missed any. There were a couple of just absolute doozies. Oh, 35 minutes in after Kiffin has answered nine questions on NIL, some columnist from AL.com goes, how do you adapt to the world of NIL as we live in it? It's like, did you just walk yep. in the room? Like, where, where have you been for the last half hour, pal? Like, I just – it blows my mind every year. I, I remember the last year I was there. Um, poor Will Muschamp got a question. This is like the second question in the big room. Some guy goes, what do you say to the people that think Clemson's your big brother? Awesome. <laughs> what, do, what do you want him to say to that? Like the classic, like, uh, Will Muschamp kind of glare. He just looks at them guys. He's, they're not our big brother. It's like, well, he won like two national titles, pal. Like you're like, Will, Will Muschamp stares through his soul. <laughs> like he was yeah. so deep corner at LSU trying to beat someone's ass. <laughs> As only he can. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, one given quote that I thought was fascinating when talking about NIL, he talks about thinking outside the box. He's like, actually, I'm trying to create a new box and we're trying to do, you know, find ways to do things completely different. And I do, I do think that like, I try not to give football coaches too much credit in general and like say words like visionary, but I do think, Ole Miss having a guy during this time of instability in college football, having a guy that's forward thinking, and not to use the Leach example, but Leach is very much for better or for worse, hey, this is the way we've always done things, we're going to do them this way. Ole Miss having a forward thinking guy is a tremendous asset during this yeah. time because having a guy that's kind of stuck in his old ways would be 
at a program like Ole Miss would be a real, real liability during this time. The last thing that we haven't really talked about, conference expansion, Kiffin got asked about it. It wasn't really a, a, an outstanding answer. He was just like, it's all about money. Do I think it's good for the sport? No. I'm not a traditionalist, but I do like the traditional rivalries, and I do think there's something to that in college football. We uh, obviously have not done a podcast since, you know, the latest version of this popped off. What do you make of all this? I, I just I, – so I guess we cover – like we cover whatever you want to call it, an SEC program, Ole Miss guys, whatever. I think we should – like most Ole Miss fans are kind of like, yeah, whatever, because they're not affected by it, right? Like no, other not, than necessarily competition mean. steepening, they're not getting hung out to dry. But everyone else, I do kind of feel for it. I do think it sucks from that standpoint. I don't necessarily care, but I don't think this is good for the sport. What are your kind of general thoughts on it? Um, not to give any more marketing to the ringer, but Kevin Clark wrote it, wrote an article. Very good. Really, like, the best article written about all this. And it's not even about as opinions. It's just talking about how college football has no leader and is run by people who don't necessarily, like, have any idea what's actually good for the sport. And this whole USC UCLA thing from a big 10 financial standpoint and all of that, you know, stuff that no one actually gives a shit about if you're a fan. It, 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 I think it sucks. I, I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, in that article, he's talking about how like college football and I think they even talked about it on another podcast, so I'm bringing a lot from there. But it's not even about what actually happens in the game right. in this sport. Because and th at the end of the day, there's like literally six or seven teams that can win a national championship, and that's a different issue for a different time. It's all about like the, the day. It's the Saturday. It's the different places you're going to, and it's it's the – you know, the water cooler talk and the bragging rights of all these rivalries and the history and stuff like that. And this just ruins it completely. I mean, trying to make these mega conferences and, you know, if you're like a Washington Huskies fan right now, you have got to just want to blow your head off because you're about to football playoff. Yeah. A playoff less than six years ago, whatever that was, or if you're a, uh, a Baylor fan, who easily could have made a playoff, an Oklahoma State fan, you've got to be like, God, we are so screwed right now. Oregon. Oregon, I think they'll end up being fine. Yeah, I think but, yeah but not yeah. necessarily. Right now you're like, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're close to just destroying – the group of five is one thing. But if it ends up being these two mega conferences and, you know, push comes to shove and we don't want to expand to certain teams – like Oregon State or Washington State, which, I mean, obviously no one really cares about them that much, but there are fan bases who will now be, like, worrying about whether they're going to win the Mountain West or not when they were worrying about, are we going to make the Pac-12 championship? It, it, I think it's terrible. I, I think it sucks. Um, I mean, if you're going to do it, you know, and you're the SEC, you're probably going to have to be more proactive. And because, shoot, uh, you're a Notre Dame to the Big Ten away from being a firm number two. Yeah. So there, there's that aspect as well. But just from the overall what's going on, I mean, I, I've said this since this all happened, but if there's ever a college football season where LSU does not play Ole Miss, I will just – I'll drop this sport. 
and, and I'll, I'll cheer for the Saints. I'll go watch Zion. I'll I'll go over to London to watch United or Manchester watch United. I'll, I won't watch this sport or care about it. We'll end this podcast. If that starts to happen, where the schedules are so construed in these two leagues, and there's so many games, and you're losing games like that, then who? You're, that's when you lose fans. It's not NIL. It's not transfer portal. It's when you don't get to go to Oxford or Baton Rouge or Auburn for a, a yearly game when you've been playing these guys for 80 years. That's, that's where you really start to lose people. You're absolutely right. I mean, I didn't even necessarily thought about it from that perspective, but just say, hey, this keeps expanding. In five years, you got an 18-team league for SEC. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe you could use the 16-team league. But, like, what if Ole Miss catches a year, and I'm just spitballing here, what if you catch a year where it's Florida, Kentucky, Vandy, A&M, Texas, Mizzou. I'm just doing this out loud as I write it down. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, Tennessee and Georgia. That's an eight-game conference schedule. If they go to nine, let's just add the Egg Bowl. Is that compelling? You don't have A&M. And I get that oh, it would work to Ole Miss advantage not to play Alabama and Auburn every year. And I'm not necessarily calling for that. But, like, would you be that fired up about Florida, Kentucky, Vanderbilt? There's no, there's no Arkansas in there. There's no Auburn. There's no Alabama. Like, I, at the end of the day, because SEC cares so much, it might not be the greatest example because you probably end up getting somewhat fired up for it. But to your point about the LSU thing, I mean, we kind of glossed over it over the last decade. But like, Texas and Texas A&M not playing each other for a decade is weird. And A&M joining the SEC and the Manziel era ushering that in probably kind of padded that a little bit. But, like, like you said, if we lose Ole Miss LSU, or I don't think you'd ever lose Ole Miss State. But, like, things like that, it just – it kind of sucks. And I don't love it either. I don't have as strong an opinion about it just because, again, the program that we're – cover and you know kind of have a monetary interest in is not necessarily that effective from being totally irrelevant standpoint but another way I look at this I was thinking about this a lot the other day do you, I don't know if you, you can feel free to completely disagree but it's it a fit you talk about no clear leadership I think that's absolutely the case the Kevin Clark piece not having a commissioner how if there was a commissioner of college football wouldn't it be Greg Sankey I mean, Kevin Warren probably may be a close second, but he inherited that, and he's also the guy that didn't want to play football in 2020, might I remind you. But, like, who else is a competent leader? And as I, and as I kind of boil down to it, when you look about why this happened over the last five years, it seems like it's the Pac-12 and the ACC's fault, and the Big 12 is just the odd man out caught in the middle. And I guess what I mean by that is when we were kids, hell, when we were at the end of high school maybe, I, I can't remember the beginning of college, ACC was still fine. Like, Virginia Tech, Florida State was, like, fun. Uh, Virginia Tech, Miami was a lot of fun. When is the last time for an ACC game with Clemson not involved, you've been like, oh, my God, I need to watch this? Like, game day. I'm sure there's been rare exceptions, but when is the last time that's been the case? Other than gambling purposes, who the hell watches the Pac-12? There's – I mean – you occasionally get maybe like the the Oregon USC or the Oregon Washington, but a lot of time that's at two o'clock when the CPS SEC game is already on. Like, yeah, it just it, it seems like two conferences really just fell off the map in terms of. I think in the Pac-12's case, it was incompetent leadership and caring about football. I don't know what the hell it was with the ACC, but the two coasts kind of just fell off, 
And now it's just a conglomerated mess. And I feel bad for the Big 12 in a lot of ways because it's not really their fault. They added kind of, quote, unquote, smaller schools in TCU in that first round of realignment. But they're kind of the odd man out now in which they have the footprint to be a strong conference. But right. that's kind of the way I look at it in some ways. It just kind of sucks, and it's due to the incompetence of two leagues more so than anyone else. You can't blame the Big Ten or the SEC. And that's not even including the fact that we have this playoff that now – I mean, you thought you were expanding, and then now you're not. Well, we don't even know what teams are going to be in what conferences – so until they figure all that out, which could be three years, four years from now, five years even, you're not getting an expanded playoff because you're not going to have an agreement on what the, the uh, requirements are going to be to play in it. The so current still- playoff ends in 2025. You might have a year where you're just like, what is this postseason? What the hell are we going to do? Because yeah. we don't know who's going to be where and what the requirements are and the barrier to entry in the playoff and everything. So – you're still going to have a sport where unlike any other sport where you have like 65 power five teams and, you know, 5% have the opportunity to go play a, a meaningful postseason game, which you destroy bowl games by the playoff. You destroyed actual coverage of the sport because of the playoff. Cause only that's the only thing anyone cares about. And there's only six to seven teams every single year that actually have a legitimate shot of making it. So now you're screwing up with the rivalries and the fun games that, you know, teams like Ole Miss and, you know, I guess South Carolina and that kind of like 15 to 25 tier that that like that's kind of makes their years winning those games. Uh, Those don't even might not even exist or matter. I mean, Oklahoma State, God, could you imagine how they feel right now? And they're a good program, a really good program. That was an Iowa State victory away from playing – LSU national championship in 2011 and then this year they're like two or three plays away from being in a playoff and now they might not ever be in a major conference ever again like that's that's what's going on here right now and that's that sucks just because they don't have the Jordan brand behind them so people you know want North Carolina like well Oklahoma State's in Stillwater and Michael Jordan didn't go there so we don't care about their football program that's literally what's happening right now is people are sizing up the programs, acting like, okay, these guys are better than these. And they're not wrong. If you're the SEC, you much rather have North Carolina than Oklahoma State, but they haven't been as good as Oklahoma State in football in like the last 20 years. So it, it just it just sucks. I, it's, I almost, it's almost like viewing anything purely through the lens of money never produces the best product. Because that's what this is. You talk about them being good programs. Well, guess what? Baylor, not a gigantic TV draw. Oklahoma State, not a gigantic TV draw. Yeah. They Neither is Ole Miss in this. Out of North Carolina or Virginia or all these teams that the SEC wants. And I get why they want them. But they you – know, That Baylor team could have competed in the playoff That with that defense. You know what I mean? Like, they were, they're a good program. Like, it, it – and so, it's viewing all through the, the lens of, of money and not – I'm not going to tie in the live tour on this podcast. That's a conversation for another day. But we can. Seeing <laughs> this on all level of sports, when you view things purely through the prism of money without valuing competition, it leads to decisions that make financial sense but suck for the fans and the consumers. And that's kind of where we're at on a lot of different levels in sports, whether it be golf, the SEC, or college football as a whole. And it just blows. And I think it'll work itself out, and I think things will end up being fine. But, like, it just it, – it's no fun in a lot of ways. I, I, I just 
not having meaningful Pac-12 after dark just as like a college football fan is going to kind of stink. Like, I mean, look, we'll still watch it as long as you're able to wager on it, right? But just like the, the ecosystem that was created in college football for all its flaws for 35, 40 years was not so bad. And now you've blown the whole thing up for pretty much all of, I mean, entirely money purposes. That's what this entire thing is about. And it just, you know, when money is the sole prism through which you view things, it leads to a lot more problems and a lot less appetizing um, product, except for the guys that stand to make money from it, which is the universities and the television networks. And that's kind of where we're at. The last thing on this, before we get to the uh, fastest growing segment on American soil, Sankey said he was fine holding Pat at 16. I don't know if I take him at his word or not. It doesn't really matter, but let's just say if this is heading for 20 or 18 team, two conference super leagues, who do you add? That's all I'm asking. Like, because I, I, you know, Neil's brought up the point a couple of times. Why the hell do you want Florida State? Yeah. How much do they actually bring? How? Why the hell do you actually want Clemson? Like, in you know, terms of a lot of ways, North Carolina and Virginia, in terms of the totality of it, are somewhat attractive draws. I'm just curious, like, if they do have to add two to four more, wherever you want to go with it, who do you think they should and would add? If I'm the SEC, even though I just shit on them, even though I understand it. I'm adding North Carolina and Virginia and figuring out the next two from the three of Duke, North Carolina State, and Virginia Tech. I'm not adding Florida State. I'm not adding Miami. I'm not adding Clemson because you don't need them. They bring nothing that you don't already have. You have the panhandle of Florida because Florida recruits that, Georgia, LSU, Alabama – Miami, no one recruits Miami better than Alabama and Georgia. <laughs> I mean, you don't need Miami. First of all, you also don't need a private school, another one of those, because that just brings a whole set of annoyances to your league. Um, they don't fill stadiums, and though that might not necessarily be the, the market issue with them, it is a, a, a thing. You know, they have an off-campus stadium that they struggle to fill because they haven't been good. Even when they are good, they don't fill it. And that's not really an SEC thing. Yes, who's yeah. not bringing 25,000 people to Tuscaloosa if Miami's good either? No, no, absolutely not. Because it's really not Miami. It's in Coral Gables. It's yep. not the same thing. Um I think it's tough because you want to add those new – it's not necessarily markets – because I don't think that's the, the last round was all about markets. I don't think this that's one ten years old. Yeah, I think this one's more about fit and expanding footprint. But you've got an issue in North Carolina because you've got three schools. You've got North Carolina, Duke, and North Carolina State. Um, I would not add all three, but I'm not sure you can add one without adding another. And I don't know which one you take. I, I North Carolina and Duke are maybe the only two schools along with Kansas where basketball is as important, if not more important than football, despite whatever financial advantages football gives. Like those three schools legitimately don't care about the money they make in football because it is a basketball school. I don't know if you'd be able to split up North Carolina and Duke. I I don't know if you'd be able to do it. Do you bite the bullet and take Duke? I would. I for sure would. Um, And then I think Virginia, either Virginia or Virginia Tech, makes a ton of sense. Uh, They both are awesome places to go. They both have good fan bases. Virginia, in my opinion, is 
I'm not going to call them a sleeping giant, but I'm going to call them a sleepy good program that could be a lot better than they are. Um, I'm sure they have some sort of academic issues they have to run through recruiting, but like that is such a population growth area and that North Carolina, Virginia area, like those programs like have potential to be much better than they are. And you're betting on that. Just speaking to the, uh, speaking to the, uh, just off the top of your head to the fact that the ACC has faded to relevancy. Do you know who Virginia's football coach is off the top of your head? Cause I had to look it up. It's, um, it's, it's the offensive coordinator from Clemson, right? Yep. Tony Elliott. Good call. You were better than me. I was just like, I don't yeah. actually have no idea. I well, it was it was, um, it was was Bronco Mendenhall, and yeah. he was doing a pretty good job there. And then he had a very odd just I'm done with football in the middle of, like, April last year <laughs> or the April of this year. Um, yeah. So that was that. But, yeah, no, I, I mean, Virginia's they're, – they're, they have a chance to be something good. And then I know this doesn't really matter because you're, you're changing these conferences because of football – but all four of those schools, the four – if you're giving me four, it's North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. Those are the four I'm, I'm taking. And they all are good at everything. Last the one three, on this. Degrees. Yeah. Why not make Notre Dame say no? I know it's like a more cultural fit with the Big Ten. And oh, I wouldn't think they would say yes. But, yeah, they're automatically them. number one. Automatically number one. Do you buy into the whole well, they like everyone keeps saying you can kind of read coded language here amongst reporters, like, well, they prefer to stay independent. It's like, well, I prefer to play in the NBA and be paid ten million dollars a year. I don't think financially they can stay independent. I know they have the TV contract with NBC, and I don't I guess without knowing the dynamics of it, but with all this is going, and you talk about each school in the Big Ten in a couple of years and probably the SEC when it gets re-up making $100 million in TV revenue, there's no way Notre Dame can afford to, to remain independent. Maybe I'm so wrong. I, I do think you're wrong. Okay. Why? I, I do think you're wrong. I think if you saw the report that came out recently about Notre Dame and how they're renegotiating their NBC deal and adding the Big 12 to their schedule to increase that amount to like 75 to $80 million a year from their okay, like – Okay, fair. I had not seen this. So I and also Notre Dame, they they kind of like we're talking about Alabama recruiting on a different level. Notre Dame's brand is in their endowment, and the amount of money that they have is truly on a different level. They obviously can't afford to be making seventy five million dollars less than Ohio State necessarily, but they don't have to have you know, a $150 million TV contract to still be Notre Dame. Their independence is what gives them what they have. It's the leverage that they, excuse me, that they need in negotiations with TV deals. I don't think they're going anywhere. I think they're staying independent, personally. That's an interesting point. And I, honest to God, I had no idea that that, that, that potential re-up could get into that range. Because you're right, if it's in the ballpark, then it probably doesn't matter. And they're fine. They have so much money. They have so much money that the TV deals are obviously important. But it's not going to make or break them by any means. Their uniqueness, their status, their brand as this independent team, they are easily the biggest brand available they would be the biggest brand if they came to the SEC. They would be. It's it's a fact. Maybe Alabama, maybe. But they – I mean, Notre Dame is just on a completely different national scope that even it's hard to admit because we're all in the South and don't get it. But that place is just different. Uh, they're obviously the number one free agent. 
did, I know there probably wasn't a ton of overlap, but like when you have a kid that you're recruiting and Notre Dame's in the mix, how does that different? Is that different than any other recruitment? Like I always thought it was a plus, personally. Why? Because it meant his grades were real. Because Notre Dame does have real academic restrictions and issues to deal with. So if Notre Dame's recruiting a kid, um, it's not like it's Alabama. It's not like you know, uh, well, what? Are, why are we wasting our time? He's going to Bama. But it was always interesting. We didn't have a whole lot of it. Um, we take from that what you will. <laughs> um, that's not a, it's not, I a, didn't that, figure that, there was a ton of overlap. No, there's, there's not. Um, but they do a really good job. They, for what they have to deal with from a real academic issue, because that's something they take seriously. They have to recruit a specific player. Um, not as much as probably they had to do a few years ago, 10, 20 years ago. It's probably a little lenient, more lenient now. Um, but if you can't tell, I'm a, I, I kind of like Notre Dame. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a Notre Dame fan. My dad loves Notre Dame. We have no family connections at all. I, I've always, you kind of either hate them or love them. I kind of like them. Um, and I always used to really be interested who they were recruiting if it was in our footprint. Because uh, usually those players end up being pretty good. Between your dad being an LSU guy and you being an LSU plant the entire time you were at Ole Miss, Brian <laughs> Kelly to uh, LSU has got to be a uh, great time for the Rodenberg family. So that pretty much wraps it up for I keep here till midnight. We have to get to the fastest growing segment on American soil, though. It is Soccer Corner. Uh, my guy Brian Haydad texted me the other day and goes, hey, if you guys do a huge <laughs> Premier League preview, I want to be in on it. And I said, when does the season start? <laughs> It starts in August. He said We're second and first or second right week now. of August. So what's the – I know soccer was somewhat kind of year-round with the small offseason, kind of like the NBA and AHL is these days. But, like – so if I'm not mistaken, the last podcast we did was right before we had that sick uh, final day where I actually kind of watched it with, like, three different yeah. teams going uh, before I made a tea time. That's a pretty short turnaround offseason-wise. Um, so it seems like this is a year-round sport. What's – uh? What's kind of the storylines going in? I went to – I did a ton of research, meaning I have EPL.com pulled up. Um, what's kind of the storylines rolling into the season? So, sounds like we're not that far away. Are they training? What's the deal in, in the EPL these days? We're, we're in preseason right now. Actually, yours truly will yes. be reporting live from Houston, Texas tomorrow because I'm going to watch Man City play Club America at NRG, which is very exciting. Um, a bunch so of my friends. No one from Man City was like, hey, we heard the pod. Why don't you come on the field before? You didn't get it. <laughs> I did not get an invitation. That's a, what a damn shame with the amount of sweat equity we put in this. Uh, it's a sh it really is. Uh, though I did see Neil uh, watch Siski's thing because he always texts me and sends me the stupid link while I'm driving home from work. And Neil was uh, wearing a Tottenham shirt. I appreciated that. There we go. Uh, it's, I, he, he got it from us. Whether he thinks he did or not, that, that's, that's us you know, permeating throughout the network. Um, it is it is transfer season. It's okay. players going to different teams seasons. And there's been some wild stories. I mean, this is the, probably the closest I've really paid attention to it in my life. Me too. Uh, Erling Holland is at Man City now. He's from Dortmund. He's probably the best striker in the world. I'm very excited to watch him tomorrow. Um, United is currently in the weirdest sporting negotiation I've ever seen in my entire life with a midfielder from Barcelona named Frankie de Jong. He's a, uh, he's a Dutch midfielder 
used to play at Ajax with our new coach, Ten Hag. Um, Barcelona is broke, legitimately broke. They have had to sell 25% of their La Liga TV rights just to try to function as a football club. However, how common is that? It's very rare. Okay. I mean, that, that is, that is unusual for a uh, club in any sport, really just to be completely incapable of like functioning without having to take away some of their, you know, media rights. However, they just bought Robert Lewandowski from Bayern Munich and they bought a player from Leeds for 65 million and they bought two other players. However, they can't play until they're registered under the financial fair play rules. So it's all paper right now. And they're trying to sell De Jong to United. He doesn't want to go because he likes Barcelona. However, Barcelona owes him $20 million worth of deferred wages that they have not paid him yet because they are broke. It is the why I've never seen anything like this. Is that an ownership change or they're just like, oops, we screwed up the boat? They, they had their issues starting a few years ago um, because they bought a bunch of really, really expensive players who sucked. And then they had to kind of offload them for a huge loss. And then Messi left, which is just a huge marketing blow worldwide for them. And then COVID hit and that dunked them for another, however many hundred million. So that now they're just in this scenario where they're in like really, really dire straits yet they have signed like five or six players and have sold like two it just it makes no sense <laughs> it you're the, whole, the only thing to do is climb out you just got to keep, keep throwing money no, you just gotta keep digging <laughs> so i don't understand it there's been some really you know interesting transfers uh mbappe who's probably the best player in the world um is a huge bitch and he re-signed with psg to play against to say, a bunch yeah, of he stayed players. with his club i saw this yeah, so it was always assumed – yeah, always assumed he was going to go to Madrid. Okay. And as we know, PSG is a sports-washing club owned by uh, the Qatari Fund, similar to Live. Oh, I um, did not they, know that. You know, so that's a – okay. Yeah, that's a that's an oil-based-owned club. Um, so they paid him a god's amount of money just to stay there and, you know, play irrelevant soccer until the Champions League. Uh, which sucks for everybody because it would have been awesome to see him somewhere else. Obviously, so, I'm curious about this. I thought about this the other day, actually, because uh, you'll be proud of me. I watched two MLS games in the last 12 days. That's um, more than I watched. <laughs> <laughs> so, Parrot, you mentioned that him playing irrelevant soccer. Is that because of the league? Because I've heard of Paris Saint Germain. Like I know it's a big club. Absolutely, yeah. But, but the you're saying like to the French league, obviously France not that big of a country, not that many huge cities, and of course like not the steep tradition that apparently the EPL has. That's the fact that he's not going to play big time matches unless he's playing in the Champions League, right? So the French league is not that big of a deal. Does Paris Saint Germain win it every year? Almost every year. Yeah, okay, that's basically tough. every year. So it's like I mean it's. It's like Luca staying in the, the Euro League or something like that instead of coming to the States. Like Luca Doncic, yeah. if he'd have stayed in the Euro League for like three more years. Yeah, if he stayed he playing play? for – I think he played for Real Madrid, actually. Yeah. So, if he just stayed, kept staying there and won the, the league every year and never made it to the NBA, you'd be like, why is this guy scoring 45 points against, you know, a bunch of these losers? Um, and then, of course, like, yeah, maybe he goes to a showcase and he plays like, oh, wow, like he still is really good. 
He re-signs with PSG, who is by far the best team in France. Um, but you only get to see him against the best of the best in the Champions League. Like, you, no one is tuning in to watch Sunday morning, the French League, you know, PSG play some team from, like, the south of France. Like, you're never going to do that because no one gives a shit. Right, even, and I need announcers that speak English, too. I can't be doing the, the – No, the no. So, like, but even if he had – it didn't have to be the, the Premier League. If he had gone to the Spanish League, you know, like that's a that's definitely number two. Like he, you're playing real teams, you know, you're competing with amazing players worldwide. It's why I hated when Messi left Barcelona and he went to PSG. It was like, ugh, like you're not like now he's just gonna play his last few years as a as the greatest maybe player of all time, playing against a bunch of nobodies. Like that this sucks. Like it's just that's just a shame. Um, that's what you got with him. I was going to ask what the number two league was, though, because I've actually heard of soccer guys, whether it be casual or, like, hardcore, that are actually, like, Barcelona or Real Madrid fans. So people will watch the Spanish league. And correct me if I'm wrong, sounds like maybe a little Italian flavor. There's some, like, there's some juice to the Italian league, and that's kind of it. Yeah. I personally watch a ton of Italian league. I think, I think it's the, and I think it's the second best. It's not as top heavy where you have Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico who are like really, really, really good. And the rest of the league is like, there's some solid teams that always are like really tough, but like Italy has got like seven or eight teams that are all really good. Not necessarily elite, but it's a little deeper. And I, I kind of like that brand and they play at different times. They have a better scheduling model than most other leagues where, like, they have, like, kind of random games throughout the week, not necessarily all Saturday, all Sunday. Um, so I prefer them. I like to watch Milan and them. So I've got the the betting odds pulled up for your uh, EPL favorites. Um, There's really no reason to look at it because one team's winning this league next year. <laughs> that City? Or, no, excuse me, yeah. Liverpool? No, it's City. Okay. They're I was about to say, I've been at this a long time, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen these odds. So, Liverpool is 2-1, to one, but City is 8-13. to 13. So, that's just so ridiculously favored that, like, you don't ever see the number go the other way a whole lot. Not very rarely, unless you're betting on horses. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't even know. I'm not a horse guy, so maybe I, – I can't say I've ever seen that. That's wild. So, they're that heavy for a favorite. This is a foregone conclusion? I mean, they signed the best – probably the best striker in the world. Well, what's up with your guys then? Oh, we're we're in bad shape. But you're in the same <laughs> town. So, but I thought you guys had the biggest, like the same big pocketbooks. Like, how are you going to let kind of the Clippers take over LA? Oh, we have very different pocketbooks. We uh, United spends a ton of money, um, but it's not Saudi. You know, it's not Saudi oil money. It's it's the Glazers who like freaking live in New Orleans. You know, at least okay. some of the family does. Uh, who owned multiple sports teams who have really just done a shit job maintaining and evaluating. And we've signed, we signed Christian Erickson from Brentford. Thank you for that. Um, And two other players who are pretty good. Um, And we're trying to sign DeYoung, who's like elite, who if we get him, like we're, we're cooking. And, you know, we've looked really good in the preseason We've won all three games, beat Liverpool 4-0. Um, the new, I love the new coach. He, like, no, takes no shit. He's bald. He's great. Um, but we're definitely on a money spending and, like, signing transfers. We are doing very, very poorly. 
So City's just a better run operation. I know you've talked about scouting and all that being important before. So they have similar money, and then they're kind of a more well-oiled machine. Oh, my God, yes. But it's not even just, like, having more money. It's, like, they're, like, selling players for profit, whereas United is selling players for losses. You know, I mean, Raheem Sterling is, like, a really, like, famous English player. He's very well-known. Uh, I mean, City, he's been a City player for, you know, six years, seven years. They just sold him to Chelsea for like $50 million. I mean, he's 30 wow. years old. Yeah, I mean, they're just – they run a really impressive ship there, unfortunately. So, as I go down this list, you know, uh, Man United is like fourth best odds, I think, behind Chelsea – excuse me, fifth behind yeah. Liverpool, Tottenham, and Chelsea. Uh, I got to say, I know it's not happening, but I think this is not nothing – uh, our guys, Saudi Castle United, have like the six best odds. They're a hundred to one. I know that's not a, a likelihood, but just to see a team that we were talking about relegation before the Saudis bought them, it sounds like the uh, they're making their moves. Uh, here's a great question: Does the EPL have a Brandel Chambly who's just absolutely dumping on uh, Saudi Castle for their ownership structure, or is that strictly for Live Golf? That's the most frustrating part about this live golf thing. Okay. This is that it, because it's a bunch of Americans who direct, it directly affects them and their daily life and their love for golf and who they cover. So they're like, wow, like we've never fucking seen this shit before. Like what are these Saudis doing? Whereas like they literally just dumped, you know, $400 million. I mean, like not even that they, they probably bought that club for 2.3 billion and, you know, no one freaking from Florida bats an eye because it just doesn't affect them and it's not their own daily thing. And they think this is like some new, like crazy experiment that's going on. Like this is happening all over the place. It's nothing new. So, no, they don't. Now, do people recognize it and understand what's going on and not love it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I try to find people on Twitter that are like really good soccer journalists because I like to learn about it, see what's going on. And yeah, there's definitely – some issues there, especially with that new acquisition. But no, it, it's not the same. I, I saw a Lee Westwood interview the other day. It was like, I don't see the big deal. It's like they have snookers, they have boxing. He goes, Newcastle, mate. Like, yeah, it's mate. nothing That's new. Great point, Lee. It's only the, Thanks, like, Lee. the only, like, I'm not a Brando Sham Lee guy. The only thing I'll give them a live is the fact that at least them owning Saudi Castle is not like just ruining the competitive nature of golf where it's like, ah, 54 holes, no cut. Here's a couple million bucks. Like, I kind of get that aspect of it. But that's not why they're mad. They're mad their entire ecosystem is being disrupted by a business model with unlimited funds. Um, sure. Last thing I got for you. So, I did watch two EPL games – no, excuse me, MLS games. And it was mostly because there's nothing on TV. I don't have a house yet here in Oxford, so I'm in my parents' condo. I haven't figured out the TV situation yet. But I will say, I watched Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota United the other night as I was doing some work. Wow. For the, yeah, for the neat – it was on ESPN. So, I, I didn't go buy MLS <laughs> Sunday ticket or whatever the hell that shit is. <laughs> yeah, but it's on ESPN. I looked at it. They're two of the smaller markets, although it seems like uh, Minnesota does decently well attendance-wise. I went down a rabbit hole this Saturday. For what it is, the MLS, I was more surprised than anything. They have a nice little niche fan base. They have several fan bases that really care about it for what it is. Look, I'm not clamoring for it to be on national ESPN. I get they don't have the greatest players. But the stands were full. There was like an entire section of people standing going nuts. I watched like a 
Vancouver Whitecaps and maybe like Seattle a while back. And I know Seattle's kind of the marquee franchise, right, in terms of caring. But I was just impressed with the the fan buy-in. Maybe I just undersold it because no one talks about it. But for what it is, there's a little niche. I'm trying to think of a comparison, but like, shit, I mean, they – it's more filth than some hockey arenas on some. It's night. got some college baseball. It's got some college yeah. baseball. Yeah, on. that's a great – that's the best analogy. I, I was surprised yeah. by that. Yeah, it, it um, it's growing. They just have – it's just – it's difficult to cultivate the same kind of culture around it without every small town having a team – has always that goal of, you know, making it to the best league. So it's kind of a bunch of franchises who are stuck in League One. But they you know people care. I mean, you saw Atlanta. I mean, more f- people go to the freaking United games than they do the, the Falcons. They averaged 38,000 fans a year last year. I looked that up earlier uh, yesterday. That's nuts. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. And then, obviously, like, they're, they're starting – it's still, quote, unquote, a retirement league. I mean – Gareth Bale, who is, like, one of the best players in the world on his best day, now plays for LAFC in Los Angeles. And just got uh, Wales to the World Cup, right? That same guy? Yeah. Uh, we play them game one. You'll see a lot of Gareth Bale. He's freaking awesome. I love him. He's so, so good. So, he's playing in Los Angeles. And now, he's a little – I mean, he's, he's not that old. He's 31. And he probably could have signed for a, a different team. But I think he was just like, you know what, I, I want to try something different. Um, and you see those guys do that here and there. But it's starting to become like a, you know, some of these guys in the MLS are starting to go to Europe off of real contracts. I mean, Matt Turner, who might be the goalie for the U.S., was playing in New England, and he signed for freaking Arsenal this summer. Whoa. And it's been starting in preseason games. Yeah, like that's a new aspect is like the quality of kind of the homegrown talent in the U.S., in Canada, in Mexico that are playing, you know, the, the North American, South American players playing in the in the U.S. have started going over there as, you know, juxtaposed to them retiring over here. So it, it's getting better. It, 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 there's a lot of people who really, really like it. I remember Man Bun Guy a couple of years ago, uh, what, Zlatan? I think he yeah, had a clause in the contract where he only referred to himself in third person. Like he got docked pay if he just called himself me or I or whatever. He's, he's a different fellow. Yes. Different cat. But, hey, LAFC or whatever. I was reading about this today. Just fascinating stuff. So uh, that next generation is coming is what I've been hearing for 20 years in American soccer. So, hey, we're in the World Cup, though. Uh, USA England, the day after the Egg Bowl, that could be a real problem for us. We might have to be doing an Egg Bowl reaction podcast. We're going to have to get that in before or after. Probably have to be after. We'll probably have to react to both because I um, know it's getting to the point now where I don't understand what people listen to this for. I'll get emails from folks being like, hey, no comment on Tottenham and so-and-so. And I'm like, no, sorry, man. I didn't catch that one. But yeah. Only the relevant, only the relevant teams. (laughs) He is Walden Rodenberg. I've kept you up late enough, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, It is that time of year again, as we kind of ease during football season. I'm looking forward to it. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Same. All right. That is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. Good to talk to Weldon again. That means football season's right around the corner as we enter year two of this uh, Rippy Weldon duo. Um, as I mentioned kind of at the top of the pod, it's funny just this time last year, I was sitting there thinking, damn, I've got to find someone for football or I'm in big trouble. And, and Weldon messaged me like literally the day I was kind of stressing about it and boom, 
Then we created the fastest growing segment on American soil. Just what a true American dream story. Anyway, we'll be back at it. I think I'm going to bring back Mailbag Friday this week. Maybe have a guest on to top it off. We'll kind of see how that goes. Um, but we'll be back with a Friday pod and then got some interesting stuff planned for uh, the next couple weeks as we uh, kind of wait out this final time before uh, fall camp and football season gets rolling. I can't wait. I got fired up talking about football with Weldon. So anyway, y'all have a great uh, rest of your week and we'll catch you on Friday.